this morning. It's lovely to be with you um, here on this Sunday morning. Um, thank you for your prayers as well. We really appreciate those. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 24 today. Um, if you've got a Bible in front of you, um, please do stand there. I'll read it out and then we'll, we'll pray and think a bit more, a bit more depth about it. So Psalm 24. Of David, a psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word which feeds us. And Father, without your word, we would have no idea how to be saved. We would, we would not truly know you. Please, Father, show us Christ this morning. Please encourage us. Uh, please equip us to serve Christ, we pray. Amen. Um, do you have a, a password that you use for everything? Um, don't say it out loud, whatever you do, will you? Uh, my wife and I had uh, one of those frustrating experiences a few weeks back uh, where we'd forgotten the password to an email account. Um, we were trying to work out how to get back into it without this password. And um, I think a low point was when they offered to send the password reset message to that same email. <laughs> it's not helping. We, we couldn't get into our, our email account. We didn't have access to it. And being denied access was annoying. We, it stopped us doing what we, what we needed to do at the time. Um, it's all sorted now, you'll be pleased to know. I've recently started watching a, a TV show about some lawyers. Um, and in one of those episodes, that the main character, he's a, he's a new lawyer, he's, he's just started at this firm, well, he's frustrated because he can't get into a meeting with some kind of some big time investors. He wants a seat at the adults table, as he puts it, but he's denied access. He can't get in and he, he has to go and do the paperwork instead. So he's frustrated. This psalm is about who has access to something infinitely more important than email accounts or a meeting with some people with higher than average salaries. This psalm is about access to God. Who can have access to God's presence? Who can stand before him and make it out the other side? Who is allowed in? I wonder, how, how would you answer that question? Um, for some people, they, they would say, well, it's, it's people who try hard. And people who have the, the right motives and they put the right effort in. 
or maybe is it people who do more good than bad? You know, if you had a scales of how your good and bad that you've had in your life, maybe the good slightly outweighs the bads. That's who gets in. Or maybe actually it's everyone in the end, because if, if God is love, then surely he must let everyone in. There's lots of different answers to that. And that's the question that this psalm answers. It's the, the question that the psalm addresses. Who can have access to God? And but first, we need to start one step back from that. We need to go one step back. And first, we see in these first couple of verses that God owns the universe. God owns the universe. That's our first point for this morning. I want you to imagine for a second that you've got some Play-Doh. Can you imagine that? I should have brought some, shouldn't I? Imagine you've got some Play-Doh in front of you. Uh, you bought the Play-Doh and you own it. It's never been anybody but yours. This is the Play-Doh. And you decide that you're going to make a, a flower out of it. Um, so you, you come up with this nice um, five-petaled five flower. You're pretty proud of it. Now imagine that I come up to you and I insist that actually your Play-Doh flower must have six petals not the five that you've done, that you've made it with. And those petals should really be a bit longer and thinner, I think, than the, than the you've done it. Why is that feeling jarring? It's jarring, isn't it, if someone was to say that to you? Why does it feel wrong for me to insist that about your flower? It's jarring because it's not my Play-Doh, isn't it? It's not my flower, it's yours. And so you can do whatever you want with it. Nobody else has the right to come in and, and tell you what you should have done with your Play-Doh, with your flower. Because if you make something, you own it, don't you? And it's up to you what you do with it. First one of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for, because, he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. God owns the world because he made it. It's his. The world is his property, if you like. See, I think often we, we think of God as ruling the world, don't we? we and, and that is right, God rules the world. But, but this verse, I think, goes one step further than that. He's not just the ruler of a kingdom. He's the owner of his property. Because he's not just being chosen to govern something that was passed on to him. He made the universe from scratch out of nothing so it's his it's his property the earth the whole earth and everything in it and everyone in it um, there's a commentator I was reading about it it's called James Hamilton I think he puts it really well he says there is no realm that God does not claim as his own no plot where his sovereignty does not hold sway and no corner or crevice where he will not fail to enforce his will no creature is autonomous. Neither fleas nor flying things are free from his authority. All humans in all places belong to him, along with all rock badgers and rats, bats and bullfrog everywhere. Isn't that good? All things belong to the Lord because he made all things, including me and including you. Whatever you believe about God, whether you believe that or not, you do belong to him because he missed you. I wonder what are, what are some of the big categories that we can put stuff into? Uh, maybe if you're into to biology, then it might be, I've got to re read this carefully, vertebrae and invertebrates, isn't it? Things with spines, things without spines. Or maybe reptiles and mammals, there's some categories. Or if we're thinking about uh, global politics, we might think east and west. 
Or if it's a, a game in a long car journey, it might be animal, mineral, vegetable. Well, the, the biggest category difference, though, is none of those things. The biggest category difference is that everything that exists can be divided into one of two things. The creator or created. Everything that exists is either creator or created. Who's on the creator side? Well, it's, it's only God, isn't it? He's the only one. He was not created. He, he does not depend on anything else for his existence. He is the cause, not the effect. He stands outside nature. He created it. And on the created side, there's everything else, isn't there? So planets, oceans, ants, trees, atoms, humans. And all of us things on this side, the created side, well, we depend on God for our existence. We were created by him and we belong to him. See, God is on the created side and everything else is on the created side. And that means that if, if the world and everything in it is created by God, if it's owned by God, then well, we can't pretend that we're free to mould it into whatever we want. We can't ignore, I don't think, that he has a claim on how things work. He has made the world in a certain way, and it's up to him to say how things should be done around here. So he gets to say what is right and wrong. We're not free to pretend that the world works in a different way to how he's made and continues to sustain it. So that means that we humans, we discover how things work. We, we don't choose how they work, mostly. Whether that's kind of how we observe how the world works or, or whether we listen to God about how, how the world works morally, right and wrong. We, we, don't, we don't choose those things, we discover them. Because God owns the world, because he misses. Do you know that God didn't need to make the universe? He didn't need to. There was nothing incomplete about him that meant that he, he just had to make the universe. In one sense, you, you and I, we are unnecessary. That can make us feel a bit small, can't it? Maybe that's good for us sometimes, I don't know. But, but it also means that God chose to make us. We are gloriously unnecessary. He chose to make the world in all its beauty and all its variety. He, he didn't need to, he chose to. All that we enjoy in this world is from him and from his, his choice to give it to us. Even our very existence. Which means we are primarily recipients. We, all that we enjoy from this world, we receive from God as his purely gracious gift. So we thank God, don't we, for the things that he's given us. Thank God for the things that he's given you. He didn't have to. He was under no compulsion to even give us existence, let alone lavish on us the variety and the splendor of the universe that we live in. He chose to give us that gift. So we thank you. The one thing you don't do when you receive a birthday present is, is pretend that actually you bought it and that you made it yourself. That is the height of rudeness, isn't it, to the giver, to say, actually, I made this, I bought it. No, we thank the giver, don't we? We... Well, in the same way, our basic stance towards God's, the basic way that we relate to him is one of praise and thanksgiving for all the things that he's done for us. Um, I don't know, have you ever heard the advice to, to be more grateful? Um, the other week I read uh, a magazine article encouraging the reader to, to be more grateful. Um, 
it wasn't written from a, from a Christian point of view, but it's quite a common thing, isn't it, to, to encourage people to be more grateful about life, to be more thankful. Um, maybe you've heard that idea looking around too. I've always wondered, though, who is it that I'm meant to be grateful to? Because if you're grateful for something, then, then it's because someone gave it to you, isn't it? You thank the giver, the person. That's what being grateful is. To me, that only makes sense if, if God owns the universe and has graciously given it to us, this amazing place that we live in. So, of course, we need to be grateful. That is right. It, that is good for us. Because we're made to thank the creator who has given us every single thing that we enjoy because he wanted to. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, all the creatures, all the stars, everything. Um, there's a lovely uh, prayer in a book that I've got, a prayer which it praises God for the variety of his creation um, and how, how he's in charge of it all. I won't read you it all because it's really long. You'll be glad to know I won't read it all to you. Uh, come and talk to me afterwards if you want to know where it's from, but it goes like this. I think it's really good. It's a prayer that says, You are the monarch of meadows. The Lord of lava fields, ruler of the desert wastes, the polar king, the rainbow king, the king of the southern cross and the king of the northern lights. You're the king of the rabbits. You're the Lord of tall trees. You are the God of youth and the God of age. You are the acorn king, the river god, the swamp king, king of the glades, king of dells, ruler of all hummingbirds. You are the horse lord, the crag king, Lord of the bees, king of the walruses, commander of rhinos, lord of the lightning bugs. You get the idea. Thank God for all that we enjoy from him. But next, I'd be pleased to know we'll go quicker through the rest. Next, the psalm moves on to consider whether we can even approach this God to thank him. So secondly, we see that only perfect people can stand in God's presence. Only perfect people can stand in God's presence. So verse 3 contains quite a simple question, doesn't it? Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can go up to the mountain of his holy place? So it's a way of asking, well, who can be in God's presence? Who can, who can stand before him, this God who created and owns the whole universe? It's uncomfortable if we see how far short we fall of the description that David gives us in this psalm. Who can stand in God's holy place? Well, verse 4 the one who has clean hands. In other words, their actions are innocent. They, they never deliberately hurt people. They never fly off the handle. They're never selfish. They're perfectly sexually faithful. They, they always act for the good of others. But there's more. Not only must their actions be innocent, they must also have a pure heart. Their motives, the things that drive them, the reasons they do things must be pure. So they never do things for their own gain. They never try to look good at the expense of others. It's not just their actions, but their motivations, their, their emotions, the, th the things that drive them, that matters too. But there's more. <laughs> Have a look at what it says next in verse 4. Next it says they don't trust in idols. So they have, they have complete trust in the Lord. They never turn to popularity or pleasure or entertainment or money or possessions for their security. They always obey the Lord, knowing that he is good and that his commands are trustworthy. But there's more. They don't swear falsely. I think the NIV footnote there, I think that's the better translation. They never lie to get ahead. They never bend the truth 
They never exaggerate. They never conveniently leave out those details. Can I ask, how are you doing against that standard? Because that's the sort of person who gets to enter the presence of God, who made and owns the universe, according to this psalm. See, only perfect people can stand in God's presence. How are you doing against that standard? God can set the rules, he can set the standard, he can say how life in this universe works best, because he made it, remember. It's his, he knows. And he is completely holy, nothing impure can come into his presence and and stands. This is is uncomfortable, I think, but when when we don't act how God tells us to, we're we're doing more than just rebelling against him. We we are doing that. He he is the Lord and we are setting ourselves up as as rebels. But that's not the language of this psalm. See, this psalm has told us that God is the owner of the universe. So when we take the things that he's made, including ourselves, and and we do what he didn't intend, when we do that, we're not just rebelling, we're stealing. The universe belongs to him. We belong to him. So defying God is stealing from him. It's taking what's his. It's using his gifts for, for purposes other than what he intended. That's, that's robbery. See, if we just call sin rebellion, and it definitely is rebellion, it, it can make it sound a bit glamorous, do you think? So maybe we're the, the revolutionary fighting against the tyrants. There's no glamour in petty theft, though, is there? I haven't experienced theft very much in my life, I'm thankful. Years ago, um, I had a new bike stolen. It's gutting, isn't it? It's gutting. How dare they take what was mine? I'd saved up, I'd bought this whole thing, I'd spent time fixing it up, and I think it was the second or third way of using it. Someone nicked it off the street. Someone took what was mine. They had no right to, but they took it for their own. When we take the things which belong to God, that, that's what we're doing. We're stealing from him. I told you at the start about us trying to, to gain access to our own email accounts. And to be honest, there's a fairly good chance that in the end we'd get in, right? We just needed to jump through the right groups, act on the text to, to reset the password, and we get in. Well, that access to God's presence is not quite like that. As we are on our own, there is no chance that we would get in. There's no chance. It's more like trying to access a nuclear weapon storage bunker. Can you imagine that? There's no way I'm getting in there, is there? I don't have the credentials, I don't have the passes, I don't have the clearance, the uniform, and and they're not just going to let me in because I asked nicely, are they? So so please don't rely on your own performance to get access to God's. Please don't think you can access him or be close to him or stand before him because of anything that you have done. Please don't think you're good enough to stand in his holy presence. There is no way that you can get in unharmed. You can't impress God with your good deeds to persuade him to let you in and be before him. Because we've stolen from him time and time again. Don't rely on the things that you've done or what you're really like deep down despite how you keep acting. Don't rely on yourself to earn access to God's. Unless you're completely confident that your hands are clean, that your, your heart is pure, that your motives are good, that you've always trusted in God and nothing else and don't lie you can't rely on your own records to grant you access to God the owner of the universe no one can do that 
which I suppose as we come towards the last of this psalm, it, it leaves us asking, well, who can enter the presence of God then? Who can do that? And this is our third and last point. In these last verses, we see enter the victorious king of glory. The victorious king of glory. We're in verses 7 to 10 now. And these verses, they kind of imagine an exchange between a, a herald, someone giving a message. They're announcing an arrival and the gates themselves. Did you notice that? So we've just seen that no one can enter God's presence on the base of their own actions, their own record. But now we see these ancient gates. We can picture them. They're solid doors. They're, they're bolted firm from anyone trying to enter. And they've been locked for generations. They're ancient doors. But one person can ascend the mountain of the Lord's. He can reach the gates blocking entry to God's presence to all others. Now the gates are opening. The, the hinges creak as they wake up from generations of sitting closed. Verse 7, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. Who's going to enter? Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, strong in battle. Who's entering? Well, it's, it's the king of glory. It's the Lord himself. The one who has won the victory, mighty in battle. See, verse 3 asked, who could stand in the Lord's holy presence? And we were expecting a person, weren't we? But in verse 8, we see actually God himself, the Lord himself. It's kind of confusing, isn't it? The one who gains access to God's presence is God himself. That is confusing. But when we see that Jesus lived on earth as a man, when he lived on earth as a man, he, he had perfectly clean hands. He never did anything wrong. He never harmed anybody. He never stole. And he had a pure heart, didn't he? His, his motives were always good. His emotions perfectly appropriate to the situation. So he was angry at things which should anger us. And he was compassionate all the time. Jesus perfectly trusted his father. He never looked to anything else for his security. And he certainly never worshipped another god, did he? And Jesus never lied. In fact, he, he is the truth. He is the words. Jesus was perfect. Think about that. He literally never put one single foot wrong. Never a single crossword from impatience. Never a selfish decision looking after his own interests. He can enter. He has the credentials. He has the right record. And he is the Lord himself. Jesus is the king of glory. After his erection, after his, oh, I nearly said something awful then, didn't I? After his resurrection, he ascended to the Father's right hand to rule with him for eternity. He entered the presence of God where he had been for all eternity. He did what is impossible for perfect people like you and me, imperfect people. He entered the Father's presence. And the amazing thing is this. This is, this is so important. The amazing thing is this. He, he brings those who trust him with him into the presence of the Father. See, he gives the blessing and the vindication that we, that we read about in verse 5 to the generation who seek God, all because of his perfection, Jesus' perfection. Do you know, right now at 11.25 on Sunday, the 18th of February, 2024, Jesus is currently right now sitting at the Father's right hands, pointing to his once-for-all-time sacrifice on the cross. 
where this perfect king of glory chose to endure forsakenness by the father so that we don't have to. He's pointing to that sacrifice on the cross right now so that we can enter the father's presence on his coattails. So you can pray to God because of Jesus' perfection. You can approach the throne of grace boldly. You can go into the presence of the God who owns the universe to tell him your day is going. And to pour out to him what is worrying you about tomorrow. And to ask for his blessing on the lives of the people that you love. You can enter his presence because of Jesus' perfection and because of his sacrifice. You can knock on the ancient gates boldly and you can show your entry pass, Jesus' perfect records. And one day you will see the Lord face to face. You will see the King of glory in all his glory one day. See, doing the stuff of verse 4, that, that is not how we enter God's presence. Only Jesus has clean hands, a pure heart. Only he never worships idols. Only he never lies. But the Holy Spirit does transform us into that sort of person. Over the years, not days, over the years, he transforms our actions, our motives, our trust in him, our truthfulness. So that, that verse 4, that's what we start to look like as he works in us over the years. We're made to be more like Jesus. So we do still belong to God, don't we? In fact, if he saves us, we kind of belong to him twice over. He created us and he saved us. He's brought us back. So we must not continue stealing from him. We must not take what is his. But that is never how we gain access to God's loving presence. That's never the basis for our access to God. Not when we first became Christians, not when we've been following Jesus for decades. In the last minute or so, let's finish by noticing something about this conquering king of glory. What is Jesus like in these verses? Well, did you notice what the, the giant gates have to do to let him in? They have to lift their heads. They have to be lifted up. Now, that's not how gates open then. They're not like sort of portcullises which lifted up like that. They swung open like giant doors. Now, these gates have to strain themselves to admit the king of glory to the corner of whose robe fills the temple. These huge gates have to stand on tiptoe so that you can squeeze in. Do you remember the pictures or the videos of King Charles's coronation? It was amazing, wasn't it? Seeing the, the kind of the splendor, the glory of that day. There's so many colors and sights and sounds. It was a rightly regal occasion, wasn't it? That was appropriate. It was amazing, but did you notice that the big doors at the front of Westminster Abbey, they didn't have to be enlarged, did they? So that King Charles's glory could fit in. This king is on another plane altogether, isn't he? He's in another league of glory. Who is he, this King of Glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of Glory. Let's pray to him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the universe that you have made. You are the owner of it because you created it. And Father, we thank and praise you that Jesus lived the perfect life. His actions, his motives... His trust in you, his truthfulness was perfect. 
And Father, we thank you and praise you so much that we can enter your presence because of his sacrifice, because of Jesus' perfect record and his sacrifice on the cross for us. Father, we praise you and we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that you would make us more and more like him as time goes on. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.